out there in the Star Wars galaxy, it's time for Star Wars All In, the show where we go in on the galaxy's details, characters, places, things, stuff, clones. We're going to focus a lot on clones today. Clones, 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 clones. All right, I'm here with my fellow war historian, Ross, and I'm Mac. Mac, you know... I know how excited you are to talk about clones. I do like clones. I know how excited you are to talk about what we're talking about today, because today we're going to start out by talking about Delta Squad. Republic Commando has just recently had a re-release on the mm-hmm. PlayStation 4 and the uh, Nintendo Switch. And so now, one of Mac's all-time favorite games, we're going to talk about the the characters of the game. We're going to talk about the game itself. We're going to talk about their brief appearance in uh, the new expanded universe. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some of the other places they pop up. So once again, that is Delta Squad. And then after that, we're going to do a little uh, jump over to the Citadel and talk about Echo, a clone character from the Clone Wars, and now the upcoming show, The Bad Batch, who, um, you know, started off as a relatively small character in Star Wars mm-hmm. and has now grown to be uh, well, a much larger character. About and to be a huge character. A yeah. very different character, too. So That's we are true. going to uh, we're going to spend some time talking about where Echo is at up to this point, what we've seen him in. And uh, that way, by the time you get to The Bad Batch, you'll be ready. All right, so if you're as excited as we are about the Bad Batch, get ready, because this is sort of the Bad Batch primer before we get to next week when that releases. And we hope you're going to enjoy our conversations about clones right after this. So as you know, Ross, I am a huge fan of this little piece of the story. Uh, we so I've t- heard, yeah. So we're going to talk about Clone Commando. So uh, in 2005, they released a video game. And that video game was about this new type of clone called the Clone Commando, who's mm-hmm. a bulkier, mm-hmm. heavier duty, works in these uh, four-man squads, and they go and take care of the really like difficult missions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and this game was designed as a tie-in to the release of Revenge of the Sith. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a big deal. It was pretty cool. And it was Xbox and PC only. Is that correct? That's correct. Because I never had access to this as a kid because we did not have an Xbox nor a home computer to play games on. So this was something that escaped me at the time, although I was fully aware of its existence. But, you know, Knights of the Old Republic, this, uh, the Jedi Knight games, things that were limited to Xbox and PC, 
I missed out on completely. Yeah, it was a weird strategy that time of video games. There was a lot more of, well, what's the best version of these games? So there's a lot of fighting over that. Like, is it the PS2 or the Xbox or the GameCube? With the GameCube being, ironically, the most powerful of those systems, which <laughs> super ironic. But they had this strategy of they, they would also do a lot of, oh, yeah, well, we don't want to program it for that system, so it's not coming out on this one. Like, because Public Commando was that way, but, like, Racer Revenge was always the one that was on the other shore for me. Is like, that's a PS2 exclusive. Yeah. I'm like, but Racer started on N64. Yeah, it made no of- sense. I remember as, like, a 12-year-old just being befuddled why I couldn't play, you know, every game. But I, you know, was familiar with the differences between what Sega had and what the PlayStation 1 had and what the Nintendo 64 had. So it's not that it was a new concept, but as we went farther along, it felt like more games were available on more things. And so when you have a property as big as Star Wars, it didn't, you know, I was, what, 14 when, no, 12 when... uh, Uh, Knights of the Old Republic came out, so definitely old enough to understand the idea of exclusives, but, you know, why would something as big as Star Wars not be available everywhere? Right, and I mean, I think in the case of Knights of the Republic and Republic Commando, at least I can see some of the DNA in the sense that, like, oh, well, the Xbox is basically a PC in a box, and so it's not surprising that at the time, PC-only developer like BioWare said, well, I don't know about these consoles, but maybe we can... Maybe we can do the Xbox. It seems like it's just a PC in a box. And I understand it from a developer standpoint and all that, but from a licensing standpoint, from, you know, Lucasfilm saying, yes, you can make a game, but we're going to keep it out of two thirds of the market or two quarter, you know, half of the market, depending Mm -hmm. on how you're looking at it, just seems like a choice that would never happen now. I'd like to think that's true, but like the exclusive markets and how those come to our current consoles seem even more mind-boggling ridiculous. Have there been exclusive Star Wars games? I am ta- I'm talking specifically about Star Wars games here. Well, there's mobile games that shouldn't be mobile games. Sure. Um, um and like, you know, with these reissue games, like, you know, these uh these Asper Aspire yeah. games that are coming out now like Republic Commando, they're limited a little bit, but with new games like Fallen Order was on both, which- right? Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. Fallen Order and Battlefront 2 and Battlefront were definitely a multi-platform. And, oh, yeah, I guess we've gone over all the Star Wars games made in the last, like, five years. Oh, yeah. Well, Squadrons is on both, right? That's, yes. Is that it? (laughs) That is it, I think. That's probably why it feels that way, because those games took so long to make. They have to be. Um, The other thing I was going to also say was, at the time, though, I mean... On PlayStation 2, you had Killzone and then the multi-platforms, but, like, Xbox had one thing in its its quiver that definitely was its, which was, hey, PC shooter fans, this is the console for you because it was home to all the shooters, entirely too many shooters. Yeah, but no Metal Gear. And that was always the... Hey, we got we got subsistence eventually. <laughs> and I remember playing that, and I really... Yeah. I, I honestly... We I don't were just think on I would, different shores at that time. I don't think I would give up playing Snake Eater for any Star Wars game. That That is maybe the I, best game I've ever played. I had a friend who had a PS2, and we beat it that weekend. It was great. Um, Man, but... <laughs> okay. Rougher enough, times. Rougher times. Yes. Harder to play Star Wars. That's all we should say. Yeah. Um... So with that in mind, I so this game comes out, and uh, at the time it was 
kind of a huge release for me, um, uh, reminding our age difference. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, I was, I was a working adult, and I mean adult in air quotes, uh, yeah. like a recently minted um, adult. <laughs> um, and I remember getting really into this game because the entire thing that was very cool about this game was the idea that you could kind of see cradle to grave the life of a clone what does it feel like to be in the boots of the inventory yeah i gotta say the opening was very cool Mm -hmm. i I was shocked at how interesting it was for a game as old as that yeah because you start out basically introducing the characters we're going to talk about delta squad you start as you're in the eyes of your main character cc 1138 boss and you start out with being an infant in a tube with little hands, and you can press the trigger, and the hands will wiggle. <laughs> um, and you have one of the Kaminoians pretending that they're nice, which we know from canon they are not actually nice. You're a product. They're um, capitalistic. They're, they're late-stage capitalism. They finally made life into a profit margin system. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but... Uh, yeah, and then you go and you skip forward to flash training, and then you skip forward to, like... Um, uh, squad training, and mm-hmm, they kind of mm-hmm. give you the idea that you are a special cut. You are a more, um, for lack of a better term, you're a more expensive clone. You have more abilities, more facilities. You are engineered at a higher level than most of your brethren. And I really like that. It's something that I don't think has ever really been said explicitly in the Clone Wars or anywhere else in canon. You know... The reason not every clone is this optimum premium brand of clone is because it's more expensive. Right. And, and, it, and, I, and I think that's just a really important point to make. And what I think you see when you see, we'll talk about some of this later, is like when you see people kind of like, for lack of a better term, advancing past their, their make and model, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that is because I believe that the way this f- sort of feels is like, hey, you're a clone commando. We are going to make sure you have Django's good genes. Like, we're going to double, double check that. Whereas I feel in other ways, it's not that the other clones are, are like, can't have some of those good genes. I just think the quality control is a lot lower on the infantry clones. And, like, if some of them turn out a little bit better, great. If some of them turn out a little bit worse, eh, great. It's all within spec and tolerance. We're getting the correct yield that we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, we've seen clones, you know, like 99, who have not made the grade. You know, yes. how how kind of how far off the mark they have to be before they are not qualified for typical service. Right. Right. So you would imagine that if you have, you know, clones like Rax and Echo, you're also going to have clones at the other end of the spectrum. Right. Which and- is hard to believe when they're clones. Right. Right. When they're all clones. But it, it may be not is it as much of an exact science as we kind of were led to believe early on. I think you look at it like, say, I guess we can continue this capitalist uh, analogy. Um, think about it like uh, like a cell phone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so essentially um, you got the clones and they all have the same chip inside of them, the same basic screen inside of them, all that kind of stuff. But like the clone commandos are like the pro model. Like we made sure it's the shinier, better version, even though in its heart it's the same stuff. Yeah. But this one has the nicer screen. This one has the nicer body, the better finish. Uh, totally understandable. That kind of thing. Good analogy. Um, and the thing that they're discussing is because you're a commando, your kind of special trick is you are designed to work in squads. They mm-hmm. talk about uh, the Kaminoans have these kind of whale creatures on their planet that attack in pods, like whale pods. And it's like 
they see that as that's what you do. So you are a, this four man squad and your whole job is you work as a unit to complete tasks that are specialized. So essentially you're, you know, your spec ops for the uh, clone army. Um, and you are introduced to the rest of your team, which is a fun story that this was a late mo- late addition within the last month and a half of development. Really? When the re-release of this game came out, I was watching the, the Twitter account of David W. Collins, who does um, a lot of sound work at Luke. Well, he did all the sound stuff at LucasArts. He's at Lucasfilm now. Oh, wow. Uh, and he was talking about, like, sort of reminiscing about the dev development of it because this was his very first project that he had, like, whole control mm-hmm, over the sound. Mm-hmm. And so he has a lot of fond and deep memories about it. And one thing he talked about was... Um, yeah, at the end of production, they were sort of let under the tent of like, oh, by the way, this is what we're doing in uh, episode three with the clones. Uh, see if there's anything in here that might, uh, you know, work on your project. Like, why are they wearing all these colors? Oh, those are their individual colors. They're not squads. I thought they were like rank insignia. Oh, yeah, in the old armor. But, you know, it's been three years of a war. They've all become kind of their own people. They can become their own people. I thought they were clones. (laughs) Because originally, Delta Squad was supposed to be four identical duplicates. There wasn't any... In fact, I believe that, like, same voice actor recorded for all of them. Oh, wow. That is very interesting. Uh, And so at the end, they're like, guys, 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 guys. They can have personalities. Um, And so they, like, scuttled, like, I think hours of work and then grabbed like a bunch of people uh i think the guy who has the deepest voice who plays sev is like the only one is like oh the only actor they had already hired they had to go hire the other two because they had tamara morrison (laughs) yeah um, to like fill it out and it's like that's insane but it also makes sense if you play the game why like one of them is like a demolitions expert but doesn't always do the demolition expert thing it's why they're interchangeable and they're called specialists, but they don't actually do anything particularly specialized is because they were never supposed to be that. Interesting. So that's very interesting. So that's okay. why all the characterization about like, ah, I don't know if I should be doing this boss. is just in the dialogue. They don't actually functionally work any different because it came so late in game because wow. you're introduced to your brothers. So you've got uh fixer who is basically your, your standard good boy soldier like he's just here to help he's super ready to be your second in command and he's the by the book guy he uh you know he just wants to uh do the best job he can uh opposite him you've got scorch scorch is your um demolitions expert sure who's also kind of the humor of your squad he's he's a pyro and doesn't shy away from that he's sarcastic he's 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 the comic relief. And then to be the perfect straight man to him, you have Sev, who is the insanely, deeply serious sniper, uh, who is your most advanced hunter. And his whole thing is, you know, you can tell he's he's extreme because he's got like blood streaks over his face. <laughs> and he's when he's not brooding, he's just cleaning his gun. Often he's doing both at the same time. <laughs> So we have four unique characters that were never really meant to be. Mm-hmm. And 
they've found their way into other media, which I know we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, do you want to talk a little bit about their first story, their game story, and you yeah. know, take them through it a little bit? Yeah, so as people knew in old canon, I mean, what was happening was this was one of the bigger tie-in games for Revenge of the Sith. So we start at the Battle of Geonosis. In fact, once we get the squad sort of introduced, the next thing you see is boarding the drop ships as everyone's scrambling because, guys, we're being deployed. The war is started. What war? I don't know. Get in the ship. We'll figure out who we're fighting once we get there. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, there is that level of kind of confusion yeah. of, of you know, Master Yoda sent the call for the army to show up at Geonosis. He he decided to take uh, custody of the order that Sifo-Dyas made for them. Um, and you're just drop shipped in and you get, again, that whole experience. You, you get on the drop ship and then you're dropped out of space. You go into Atmo and then the doors slide open. You see like two ships on the side of you get blasted out of the sky because it's a hellish war. <laughs> it is odd to kind of, you know, you're on the first mission. Yeah. You know, this is their very first outing together as a group, as a squad, and really for any of them individually. And everything else we've seen kind of since then is that these specialized clones are more established, more battle-hardened. They're clones that rose up from the regular ranks mm -hmm. and became this sort of elite squad. Whereas here, that's not the case at all. They're just, oh, okay, you're fully baked, you're out of the oven, you're cooled, get out there. Right, which I, I think in many ways feels appropriate to sort of like well i mean just the, the whole thing about it is like they don't state it but like you can get the feeling of like they had no idea what army that they were an army being built they're a general purpose army so like i always have, have imagined that like the blue bolts the fact they're running around with ion guns is because someone told them oh we're fighting battle droids okay get the battle droid deployment systems Right. Like if they were fighting only Geonosians, they would have different equipment they would have ran into battle with. And by the time we enter like the Clone Wars cartoon and stuff like, well, we're mostly fighting battle droids. We're mostly kitted out for that because it's 99 percent of what we're going to fight. Sure. Um, so I, I kind of like the the total confusion because you have an advisor yakking in your ear about like what your missions are. And it kind of shows just how <sighs> professional, but confuse this army is in the sense of like they're building the situation and the model as they go they didn't have a whole bunch of recon to rely on for this battle because they sort of just got shot right out there to go yeah win it yeah um because your squad gets retasked like four times in the first mission i'm like oh commandos you did that excellent we have a new mission for you <laughs> oh you did that well we're retasking you this yeah never just finish up and get extracted yeah, no, and it's just because the battle map is constantly changing because this is a very in hot and heavy kind of battle. Yeah. And so you follow the squad as you re re reconnoiter around Geonosis and sort of regather your troops before your main mission on, on the first act of the game is to get Sunfak. Sunfak is one of those... Uh, um, one of the lieutenants of Poggle the Lesser, the guy who has the freaking Death Star plans, the guy who hands those off to Dooku in the movie. 
Um, so it's like one of the inner circle uh, Geonosians, and it's impossible to escape the war and terrorism kind of vibes that are going on in this very <laughs> 2005 game yeah. four years after September 11th. Yeah. There's a certain, like, you could expect that if you uh, were identifying Sun Fak, he would be, I don't know, the king of hearts in a deck of cards that has pictures of people you're supposed to shoot. You know, it, it's got that vibe. <laughs> um, and... Then you you complete that mission, you do the job, you take care of Sunfak, and you are moved on to like a year later in the war, and you're at this uh, derelict star uh, star destroyer. Now I should point out here, just for anyone listening, that this is as far as I've gotten in the game. So I am playing, you know, the re-release re- uh, version. I'm playing on PlayStation Four, and I have essentially finished through the first act. But I have not yet gotten through and, uh, well, completed the rest of the game. So everything from here on out is going to be new to me, too. So if this is spoilers for you, it's also spoilers for me. So sit back and enjoy. So um, so you find the squad on this Acclimator class um, assault ship. So the Star Destroyer mm-hmm. looking ships from the yes, early the co- Clone the coolest, the coolest ships ever. Yeah, the giant arrowheads. Um, yes. And... It's derelict, and so it's kind of like an aliens mission where you're kind of crawling through ductwork of this, like, downed, turned-off ship. There's no one around. You're not finding any, like, you're barely finding any bodies or evidence that anyone was doing anything. Mm-hmm, and it's this whole mm-hmm. unraveling mystery until you find out that it's a bunch of Trandoshans uh, who are, like, scalvaging this ship. They found it derelict. They've been scrapping it together, grabbing the arms and the armor and all this kind of stuff. They're going to sell it. And how hard are the Trandoshans to kill? Um... Well, the coolest thing about this game to me is they really took the idea of, okay, let's say you're not a Jedi. What do all these things look like to an infantryman where these things are much more dangerous? So one of the things that's very hallmark about the game is everything in this game is more terrifying looking. You know, even the battle droids have like slaps of grease over them and blood like they're just like you know these mindless killing machines and the Trandoshans don't look like Bosk a guy who like can't move because he's a standee almost on the deck there no they look like giant like super powered dinosaur men who want to rip you limb from limb I mean, they, they're all running around with like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger scale mm-hmm. bodies and sizes <laughs> um, and they're they're pretty terrifying oh yeah okay okay well i'm excited to get there um but you already see how much the squad has evolved how much more comfortable they are with each other and how much they're referencing a whole bunch of missions that obviously have happened between geonosis and here Mm -hmm. and when you get to the end of that we meet up with delta squad at the end of the war at the battle of kashik um where their whole job is to help um liberate uh tarful who's sort of the wookie leader um the the confederacy has done a fairly smart job and captured him and they're trying to use him as leverage to sort of just pull for a surrender um and your whole job is to liberate him and as you're going through that again you're finding just how amazingly good at their job these guys have become you know it's the end of the war they've been doing this for three-ish years Mm -hmm. they are extremely good extremely comfortable with each other extremely connected they've grown as individuals and there's also a certain amount of edge to it in the sense of and these guys are a little brutal they're 
they get the job done and mm-hmm. they are a hammer. They're not a very surgical instrument. They are a fairly blunt instrument, which really foreshadows um, kind of where they were going with all this. Because at the end of this game, your squad has to split up. You have to go and stop things. And unfortunately, um, it leaves with an ambiguous ending that Sev, one of your squad mates, has been overwhelmed and probably killed. Um, and all three of the other characters are not taking the concept of this well at all because they are brothers. They, you know, despite them being cloned and despite them being assigned, like it has been three years of them working together every single day. And so um, I think it's just this heart wrenching scene of like, we have to finish the mission. What about Sev? We have to finish the mission. Sev would understand that. And you have to be the adult in the group saying, like, we can't go and save him. We have orders. And that real lockstep to orders is really good because what was supposed to happen in a better timeline than this one was this game was supposed to end up with a direct sequel called Imperial Commando because the game pulls up right before Order 66 falls. Like, you know Order 66 is coming within, like, minutes, if not an hour, after the events of this game. Um, And... So it's, it ends on a happy note, is what you're, is what you're saying. Not this, at all. This game is very optimistic. Well, the funny thing about it is, like, I think it would have ended on Order sixty six if it wasn't for always to be planned to come out before the movie. Mm-hmm. So that is supposed to leave you of like, whoa, whoa what's what's going to happen at the Battle of Kashyyyk? Because despite rumors, a lot of people knew like, oh, well, this movie's going to have to deal with the Jedi Purge. But, like, no one except for people who had a bunch of correct leads, false leads, but no, who knows which ones are right. Uh, I don't think any of us really knew Order 66 and what that was going to be in that film beforehand. Yeah. So when that came, I mean, that just gutted people. So, like, for me, like, the end of that game felt so much more prescient when you get to Order 66 and you see, like, Commander Greer and Cody and these guys who are, like, good guys like especially like cody he he hit his helmet off and he's like talking to obi-wan like they're friends they're <laughs> friends right and he's just like ready to just go murder him there's no like compunction or stop like to realize that the clone commandos are very likely to do that same thing is terrifying <laughs> and you're also like Oh, yeah, they are like just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Imperials, aren't they, by the end of this game? <laughs> they are fairly good at following orders, despite the moral choice being obvious. Well, when you're fighting for the for the side that you believe in or you think is the good guys, oh, yeah. you don't stop to uh, reevaluate maybe before it's too late. So I am in love with these characters because um, when you pre-ordered Republic Commando, um, they gave you a copy of a novel because that was the pre-order bonus. That's very cool. Yeah, there was a day when pre-order bonuses were things made of atoms that you could hold, um, not just DLC that they'll sell people later. Um, When I got uh, Fallen Order, I got a pin. Hey! That was a thing, a physical thing. Yeah. Really cool Purge Trooper pin. And and to be less salty, I mean, let's be honest, like, you also usually were buying a game that you... physically picked up in a store so fair physical fair. things made more sense back then um but it was a book by uh karen Travis called uh hard contact which was a tie-in novel where it presented you with a completely different squad um 
so what those books dealt with is um, Omega Squad, which um, that makes sense. They're called that because basically they're um, mostly a reformed group where orphans from other commando squads are stuck together. They're like, oh, yeah, you're not brother. You weren't brothers built for each other, but your brothers are dead. So get together, get back out there. And it's an interesting squad. Um, I won't belabor everything about it, but like, it's a really good book series. I really enjoyed it. Um, one of the interesting thing it also features is this concept of, um, I guess for lack of a better term, scrub Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time I encountered them. The idea of like Jedi from the agricultural core who aren't really good enough to be picked up by a master to go through the normal process of being master apprentice and running around the galaxy, having missions and adventures. Yeah. These are people who have talent with the force, but either their connection to the force is, um, not as attuned or they just never find the trainer who sees the potential in them to build them up. Or also, just to add on to that, I think, or their talents are unique in ways that oh, lend them to other things, right? So this is something I first came into contact with in Legends, actually, uh, when we read... Um, Red Harvest. Red Harvest, yeah, the Jedi botanist, remember that? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. And, you know, they're doing it, they're working it a little back into the High Republic. You know, we don't really have it in... You know, we have like, oh, you're a temple guard, you're a master, you're an apprentice, you know, you have different powers, but we don't really... You know, the Jedi, as we know them, they're they're in a war, right? right. So it's, you know, nice to see in the High Republic they're leaving, we weaving in a little bit now. You know, we have a, a Jedi, for example, I'm not going to give many spoilers away but we have a jedi for example and in into the dark who he starts off his journey i want to be a historian i want to yeah. be a jedi historian yes i have to go through a master process and be an apprentice and learn all those other things but when i'm done here i'm going to live on coruscant and be a historian right and that's i think i think it makes the jedi much more interesting because we see sort of how they've devolved or how their policies or the order have changed mm-hmm. over the centuries. Well, and you can see that during the the times we were reading about Clone Wars and stuff, the three cores at the time in Legends, which was the Agricore, the Metacore, and the um, Diplicore, which was diplomats, medica- medical support, and agriculture. Sure, sure. You can definitely feel that they're like, oh, yeah, you guys helping the war effort. That's great. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Other Jedi. No, no, I'm a full-fledged Jedi. Sure you are. Why don't you stay in the in the back there? Away from the front. Uh, you know, we, we need people with laser swords in the front. I have a laser sword. Oh, yeah, no, good for you. <laughs> like, there, there is a Some certain... Jedi clicking going on? Uh, re- very much so. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of what her entire character is about, is sort of like... The, the struggle of being sort of a second class Jedi and having, you know, a very frustrating of like, I didn't choose this. I, this isn't what I, you know, this is just who I am. I can't help that my skills with the force are lesser than some people. I can't help that like me making plants grow and stuff is what I'm good at. And I'm not good at throwing battle droids around with my mind or, you know, I can wield my lightsaber, but I don't really like it i don't like having to be a warrior and of course in context like the way we're looking at things now and reading the high republic i'm like 
oh, so you're a real Jedi. It's all these warmongering warrior monks who are the crazy ones, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is definitely, a, I think, a reasonable way to look at it. And I think that is part of the fun of the Jedi is they're not meant to be thrill seekers or adventurers. Uh, something as I've gotten older, I relate with more and more and more. Right, right. You know? Uh, Jedis do not crave such things. Yeah, and I understand that now. Um. And the thing with her that's interesting is basically her master gets killed um, as the um, Confederacy comes to this one planet that she's working on. They're, they're literally just working on trying to rehabilitate the farmlands in this. That's like her job. And her master gets killed and she's kind of alone and trying to figure out what she's going to do with all these battle droids. And these clone commandos show up and she works with them to sort of take care of this local unrest. And you know, has to step up as a Jedi. And it's great because these guys are trying to get used to each other because while they are soldiers and professionals, it's hard to form this new family. They have a lot of friction amongst them. They are not the well-oiled machine the Delta is. Mm -hmm. um, and as we go on in the series, eventually Darman, who is the main character, your point of view character for most of the novels, uh, he and the Jedi fall in love and they, they, they get together by the end of like the third book, which is great because the third book is called True Colors, where they're really establishing the difference between this group of people uh, on Omega and the people on Delta, because Delta is shown as the well-oiled machine, the professionals, the they like each other, but like no one else. <laughs> and it was kind of jarring because, you know, you like them from the games and then right. you're starting to realize that like, oh, oh, if we're sticking to clicks, oh, the, this is, this is the, uh, the honors class. <laughs> uh, they, they don't. The upper class. They take AP classes. Okay. They don't no, okay. sit around for your stupid little classes. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess we're this at the same high school, but mm. <laughs> Uh, and, and I mean, it, it does make sense because Delta is one of, at the time of True Colors, which is in the third year of the war, they're one of the only clone squads that is still the original composition. Mm -hmm. Like almost every other squad has lost one or two or three of the members of their squad and has been reformed. Um, and Omega's kind of in a good place because that happened to them so early in the war. They're one of the few ones that are really, really well adjusted to that. Uh, and it's a great contrast because it also sets up that at the end of Republic Commando, when Sev falls, just how much that's going to screw Delta Squad up. Um, but it also is really awkward when there's this sort of secret relationship. I mean, everyone on Omega knows it, but like, you know, they're not they're not talking about how technically their commander in the Jedi is sleeping with one of their squad mates. That's there's some. There's some HR violations going on. They're not going to truly point out to higher ups. It's all hush hush. Uh, and then the uh, the last book in that series is called Order sixty six. And you can imagine how poorly that goes uh, if you're a clone dating a Jedi. Uh, just how poorly that can go. Uh, it's a great series of books. I really really recommend it. Uh, long before Disney ca came, it was swept out of canon. Very unceremoniously because George Lucas's new ideas of the Mandalorians as being pacifists um, makes those novels not work even kind of remotely because the other thing that's really, really playing through that game is called um, there's the guy who trains all the commandos, um, Cal Circa. And his whole thing is he's one of Django's 
Mando mercenaries that came to Camino for the last 10 years to train these troops. So one of the other reasons that they established that the clone commandos are better is they don't just have flash training. They are trained by people from the field, people who have been doing mercenary work across the galaxy for decades yeah. who teach them the way things really are kind of embed actual experience into them. Um, and one thing that also runs through all of that, even in the game, the game starts with a Mandalorian chant. That opening song is Mando Ah, which is Brothers All, which is this whole Vodeon and it's like this whole like super duper Marine Corps hymn, but for Mandos. <laughs> um, and it's soaked in that. And then George was like, well, yeah, but what if they were all, uh, what if they're all pacifists, you know, just living in their domes thinking about how bad war is politicking it away you know well can't there, can't there be some mandalorian mercenaries oh yeah we've got these these jerks they're called they're called death watch they're a bunch of guys out there wearing flannel out their militia blindly they overthrow the government like a bunch of hicks like, you know the, the rebellion as some would call it well i still say that death watch was supposed to be a one note mustache twirling villain of the week like bunch of good old boys having a militia back in the backwaters of the planet mm -hmm. and a lot of people love mandos and dave filoni and other people know that so over time we've kept erasing that original standpoint i mean goodness by the time we got to the end of clone wars we had completely thrown that away and like oh yes mandalorian never really got rid of its warrior code it's just you know satine and her group they were in political power i'm like that is not what happens when you watch those first mando episodes those first mando episodes like we haven't had a war in a hundred years we're beyond war we are we're we're freaking costa rica here we don't even have a standing <laughs> army because that would be too close to being warlike mm -hmm. Well, the average everyday citizens of Mandalorian aren't warriors. It's only the people in these offshoot sects, right? Well, look at where we are now. It's not even Death Watch anymore. It's The Watch. And they had coverts all across the galaxy, apparently. They weren't just on that one moon. All of this is so that the Mandalorian Merc cosplaying group can continue forward and not feel that they're being ridden out of canon mm. like we have just massaged it massaged it massaged it because it was such a cool thing and it didn't deserve to be paved over and george lucas it's his toy box he can do what he wants with it i don't begrudge him for that but like it was also particularly salty for people who were reading those books because we knew order 66 had been written and was going to publish but karen trevise very publicly said i will never work with lucasfilm again uh they have no care for the work that i did and essentially was saying that like the amount of restrictions that lucas licensing put on its authors of here are the rules you have to follow because we're making everything canon everything has to click together your stories have to work with all these other stories they are so pertinent on that but the second george lucas said something they're like oh well we don't care burn everything yeah. And as an author, she felt very betrayed by that in the sense of like, did you even mention that there's a number of stories of best New York bestselling author books based around that being the way it was until you had a whim to change it? And of course, the answer is no, we're not going to say to GL, the guy who owns the play, place like, well, actually, there's some novels, <laughs> you know, um, 
Which is funny because I think, you know, under the Disney era, oh, that would super happen. <laughs> like Disney would absolutely come in and say, like, does that make it does that make it so we can't sell as many lunchboxes? Well, yeah. Oh, well, cut that out. Creativity be damned. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's it's a different time. And at the time, I remember being very salty about it just because at the time, that was one of the axes in which my entire fandom was revolving around because we were in to a lot of fans, we thought we were in Dark Ages 2. Because between 2005 and 2008, we're like, I don't know if we're getting anything more. And then, I think it was 2006 or seven. they announced Clone Wars, and there was a lot of polarization of whether you like that art style or not. <laughs> I was luckily in the camp that did. Um, but, I mean, even, in, even when you really look back at, at Clone Wars, until it gets to, like, its third season or something, it's still figuring out what it could be, and it really hasn't settled on what it's going to be. And... I think folks today don't realize of like you've had an unbroken chain of planned interlocking content pretty much since 2008 that we didn't have from, you know, 83 to yeah. like 91. And so a lot of us fans who lived during that were like, there's no more movies to pin this. It's going to go back into dormancy unless we keep, you know, unless they keep stoking the fires here. We'll and see. even when they did start stoking those fires as you're, you know, talking about and alluding to, a lot of people didn't think of that as a renaissance for Star Wars. Right. And now here we are 13 years after the start of Clone Wars, and there are people whose entire fandom was built up because of yep. Clone Wars, or people whose fan, you know, they, oh, I like those old movies that my parents showed me, but boy, when I met Rex and Ahsoka, that's when I really fell in well, love with Star Wars. And that is, one, incredibly important, Two, a lot of people, I think, forget uh, how long Clone Wars has been around. I mean, it's been a long time at this point. Oh, sure. And so all of that, uh, you know, fanfare that went into that series has not only created all these new fans, but expanded Star Wars in a way that we didn't have to that point. Yeah, and and, it's, and there's got to be kids who are just very, were very weirded out when you watched episode three for the first time. Like, wait, is is that I mean, he's kind of got the shoulder. Is that Rex? I think that might be Rex at the temple. Maybe. I don't know. And also, where's Ahsoka? I mean, obviously, she has to be part of this event. It, she's Anakin's pad one. <laughs> well, kid, you weren't there in 2008 where we're going like, no, who is this kid? We would have seen her by now. <laughs> and uh, no, there's a good reason for that. Um, but it's it, it, it was an interesting time. And I think in some ways, as much as it was painful at the time, because like I said, I was really into those particular novels yeah. and was, and like I said, it was mostly the fact of like the last book came dead on arrival. Yeah. This franchise had been incompatible with Canon by the time you got the hold of the last novel, which hurt. Um, Cause you're, you're reading a story that doesn't count, which at the time I was still really, really thought that was important <laughs> i think i've matured since then yeah um, that is always a tough line for people to lo walk right i think now that we've had seven years of the new expanded universe and it's so much fuller than it was say sure. in like 2017 i think it's much easier to look at them both and say i have room for both of these in my life but yeah. as a child definitely it felt like a weird thing anytime something well, stomped on what you thought you believed. The problem with the social compact here is the reason canonicity is such a obsessive thing for a lot of fans is because these things don't exist. 
right? They're fantasy. They're made up. Laser swords are only how to go so far out. Um, and so it is our fandom and our collective consciousness that creates the reality of these properties. When I go to Celebration, we have the same lingo because we have the same experiences and those experiences inform how we accept each other, right? And so the problem with canonicity is when something's not canon, this artificial thing reminds you that it's artificial. It reminds you this stuff is flimsy and it doesn't actually exist. And I think for Star Wars fan, more so than most fandoms, like if you're into Star Trek, you are used to things not being <laughs> canon, things being, oh, well, this is a total what if story and there's no way this would have happened. You're much more used to that Lucasfilm's heavy hand on this stuff made you feel that there there was a gatekeeper that was like that's a very toxic term now for good reason um <laughs> but like that there was an official gatekeeper whose job it was was hey we're protecting your beliefs right. we're going to try and make sure as few people step on as few toes as possible and i think when you see clone wars and what happens when lucas film itself is making so much content because i mean all of clone wars is many 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 multiples of all the movies combined. We had never had this much lore dump of the highest level canon. Right. Um, and so that got a lot of people having to get used to recontextualizing things. I mean, for goodness sakes, I was never in this camp, but there are still people who are like, no, Soka doesn't make sense. He would have mentioned in episode three, which means she couldn't have existed. I'm like, well, if you watch the show, it makes sense <laughs> why she's never mentioned. And there's still people to this day, to that point, who will watch something and go, well, yeah, but Maul could be in the Obi-Wan show. Rebels doesn't really count. Like, they could redo it. Right. And and, and that is just such a, it's a, that well, is where I struggle when it comes to canon content well, is no, but, but we're rem- not going to go back and change something that's already happened. But remember, this is why old hats like me still get um, caught up on Disney Keep your canon, because the thing is, to me, to be totally mercenary about this, as a purchaser, canon's important to me because it is part of the thing that gives your stuff value, right? The little golden books version of Star Wars isn't as valuable to me because it is not canon. It is little retellings of what if Jar Jar Binks and BB-8 met up one time and talked to you about counting. I know that didn't happen in the galaxy far, far away. It is not in the collective consciousness and our social agreement of what is happening out there in the galaxy, right? But when I do get involved with something, right, I do expect a certain amount of, for me, quality control. And that quality control is to make sure that the stories that I enjoy about it and the stories that you enjoy about it and the stories they enjoy about it, that they all have some equal footing. And the problem with it is when you say, well, that's not canon anymore. Great. You invite the fans to become divisive and start choosing what they think is and isn't canon. What is in Star Wars and what isn't in Star Wars when the people have the most authority vacate that authority, right? So, I mean, I think one of the reasons no one's happy with the sequel trilogy is because it doesn't feel like they made the hard choices to make a consistent universe, regardless if it made people happy or unhappy, right? They tried to please everyone, failed horribly, and now everyone has their own idea of whether eight or nine should or shouldn't exist, right? And that, 
I'm not saying that they could have stopped that or that it's their fault or anything like that. But I'm like, as a property, as an intellectual property that people purchase, one of the attractive traits, especially about fringe content in Star Wars, and I mean outside the mainstreams, beyond t-shirts, when you get into novels and comic books and video games, there's an entire collection of human beings that have been trained to this. So, like, for instance, when it's a random episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars and you're watching it and they talk about this Jedi Master who's killed by this new villain, Savage Opress, and four clone commandos come from that planet, which is fully occupied, somehow got in there, got this body and brought it back. And they're like, oh, well, who are these, you know, Guys who went in and did that. That sounds like a crazy mission. Oh my god, it's the clone commandos. It's Fixer and Boss and Se- Sev and Boss. Oh, it's all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't I can't tell you how stoked I was to see the clone commandos and Delta Squad become canon in the Clone mm-hmm. Wars. And at the same time going like, oh, this is so awesome. So is this episode going to feature? Nope, nope. That's the first and last time we will ever see them. They <laughs> they're are, gone. They're not going to be named on screen, uh, but the Star Wars databank file will name them as Fixer, Scorch, Sev, and Boss. They won't give their clone commando numbers because those might not be canon anymore. And um, I'll just consider yourself lucky that uh, Dave Filoni's team <laughs> thinks that was a pretty cool game, too. <laughs> I mean, it. All right. I want to because that is the only time we see them in canon. That is their one canon appearance. Yes. So we're uh, hour in to mention the one time they exist in current existence. Yes. So as we go through and we start to wrap up this topic, there is one <laughs> yeah. point I want to make is, you know, when you talk about, oh, OK, Star Wars fans having their uh, I feel this way about episode eight. I feel this way about episode nine. You know, I feel this way about the sequel trilogy. I feel this way about the prequels. Heck, there's people going so far back as I feel this way about everything but episode four. You know, Um, when you have people who are that divisive and have their own opinions, that's perfectly fine. That debate is what makes this big universe part of fun, uh, a fun place to be. And we talk all the time about how Star Wars is so big now. You can't be a fan of everything, and that's okay if you aren't. You've got to find what interests you. If you love The Mandalorian but don't like Clone Wars, that is perfectly fine. That is okay. But what is a little scary is when you see things going on like what happened with Justice League. You know, you Mm -hmm. saw a group of people take to the internet, cyberbully a bunch of people, Yep. And then get a movie out of it. And that movie was successful and better than the other version. And so you have all of that and you look at it now and go, oh, that's a success story. But you forget how terrible that fandom oh, culture was well, around that. The, and you don't want that same thing to happen to Star Wars. The entire entitlement of the Snyder Cut simply being willed into existence is a very bad precedent. Because one, Regardless of your opinions about the Snyder Cut, it's four hours long. So in my opinion, it's not a movie. It's a small miniseries that just happens to... You just take breaks when you want. Like, it would be very hard to exhibit that in a film. But that was because we want all the shots. We want all the shots. Show us all the shots that you filmed. We want to see what it was like before it was, you know, screwed up by the studio. Like, cool. But, guys, this property is non-viable. There's a reason it's on streaming services and not being sent out to real IMAX theaters. And that's not just because of the pandemic. I'm sorry. It's not just because of the pandemic. Like, it's a four-hour movie. It wasn't exhibitable in a meaningful way anyway. So, like, when you look at this fan entitlement, what it creates is this precedent of, well, who gets to decide what's the most important parts of a property? Is it the stakeholders, which traditionally has been? Has it been the fans? Has it been... 
the weird and awkward interface between those two groups? Or is it the most toxic, loud, and dangerous fans get their way? Which, that's what's worrisome, right? That's, and I mean, you can see that cat calling either way. Oh, well, episode nine stinks because it undid everything episode eight did. I'm like, well, it didn't undo everything that episode eight, eight did. Well, I like episode eight a lot, so nine got rid of yeah. all that stuff. Hey, I think nine is crap. And nine's crap because eight screwed up so much stuff that there's no way he could have fixed it. Like, you're both actually equally validly correct. The problem is we don't get to decide what eight and nine are or aren't. They exist. I do not need the JJ cut of eight and the Ryan Johnson cut of nine, because at the end of the day, those two films were made by two individuals and no recutting it. And a little bit of reshoots yeah. aren't going to completely recontextualize that movie. That's why the Snyder cut is still in large strokes. What Joss Whedon filmed because Snyder didn't get the opportunity to go and completely refilm it from scratch. Yeah, I think, I mean, now we're kind of layering on to this other movie, this other property, but I think it's an exception to the rule, right? If, you know, if you had another person, another editor, another director go back without any reshoots, they couldn't drastically change, sure. you know, episode eight because that movie was basically shot and use there was not a lot left on the cutting room floor and while i'm sure force awakens and rise of skywalker maybe have some stuff it's not anything drastic enough to change a story so when you you know it's really more about these ideas of things that can't even exist mm -hmm. whereas with you know batman versus superman you had one director basically shoot almost an entire movie and then you had another director come in and shoot Almost an entire movie. Now this one director went back and was able to pick between the pieces of these two movies and them together. Yeah. So it's a very different situation. So it's you know it is hard to sometimes well, draw some of the analogies, but but to, it's your, a, to your point about this though, there was a part of me that was really mad at George Lucas and said the old man needs to retire. He's getting rid of Mandalore, and I need that, and he's wrong. <laughs> it's more my Star Wars than his Star Wars, like. I had, I'm very glad that I had that with the Ma Mandalore and the Republic Commando novels, which is very low stakes. <laughs> so that when Disney came and got rid of the entire EU, I handled that way better. Yeah. When we've been dealing with some of the flimsiness of, of Disney's canon, which is much tighter. It really is very well developed, but like there are little, and it's getting better. It's, it's well, getting, I think it's... the whole point of it was like, I thought that Disney was going to take very even heavier handed control yeah. than Lucasfilm. And the answer is like, no, they're here to sell books. So if the book makes sense, they're going to make just the same amount of compromises, but also rein it in. So the property's healthy, like Lucasfilm did, like it's not going to be perfect and it shouldn't be perfect because there are no rules. It's a magic place that doesn't exist. So, <laughs> yes, how can Luke be here and here? It doesn't matter. When you watch Clone Wars, like, with all the travel time, could they have really had this many adventures in a three-year period? Well, look, it doesn't matter, man. It's a science fiction fantasy land. The laser swords <laughs> know only how to go so far out. And I think things like these experiences have made us all have to deal with the reality of this is not real. And as important as it might be to you as a person, you've got to put the limits on it of the fact that it is your imagination time. It is not something that you should start wars over. Um, it is not something that you should dox someone to get your way over. It is not something that you should try and villainize and exercise and outgroup people who don't hold your same opinion. It's not worth it. 
Um, and for me, that all started with Republic Commando and what that meant to me and how much I loved it and how it means something deeply to me. And when I see a Republic Commando cosplayer and I go, simpatico, we're on the same page. We, <laughs> we know what's up. We know that the visor is supposed to be blue. Sure, you can't see out of it in a cosplay, but like it looks cool. Um, you know, there's a certain just tribalism that is existent in star Wars, which is both positive and negative. It's positive. The fact that like you can have these little micro niches, you know, when I saw a guy at celebration dressed up as, um, Mando, the crusader, like this one character who exists in maybe 16 panels of a comic book published in the nineties. And I can lose my God dang mind going like, Oh my God. Chris, can you get a picture of me with this guy? He's, <laughs> it's Mandalore, <laughs> right? And he's getting something from it because he's like, oh God, someone recognized me. And they're not saying, are you like Boba Fett? Like, <laughs> you know, that is the great part of this. Yeah. The downside of it, like you said, is a lot of us are having to get used to the fact of the best thing about Star Wars being is bigger than it's ever been and having the most things hitting the fan. There's so much, st- oh, not hitting the fan, hitting the table. There's so much stuff coming out for Star Wars that it is now 100% impossible for you to consume all of it. And nobody but you is asking you to do that. Yeah. And it's time to get used to that yeah. fact. And it's okay because more Star Wars is always a good thing, even though that middle school part of me that loves mastery that middle school part of me that's like well i've got all the essential guides i know all the characters like and i can't do that anymore um yeah that stinks but the alternative is for this thing to die in darkness only remembered by people my age or older yeah do we really want our beloved franchise to become tron like do we really you know we don't want it to slip into obscurity Tron is great. And you know what? Master it was a good Tron, example. I have played all of Tron. I've I played all the games yeah. and I've, I know all of Tron. All I'm saying is there's no Tron celebration next year. No, that all I'm saying is we want the yeah. fandom to be healthy, to be alive. We want new young fans to be well, into it. You know, we want rebels and resistance to bring people in. Um, and the Bad Batch will do that for a whole new generation, which is one of the reasons we're talking about Republic Commando and Delta Squad today is because there are a lot of similarities between the two. Right. And because they're in canon, there's a ch- possibility they might show up. It is. Po- you never know. It could um, happen. And to be honest, the Bad Batch is the only canon commando squad we've really seen in action because they're four, now five, but yeah. four four people working in that group. And the only difference between them and other stuff is they're like Omega Squadron. They're cobbled together from disparate parts and they're also painfully eccentric. Um, (laughs) but you know, you do get the idea of that. The energy I love from those Republican novels in weird ways kind of comes through with the bad batch because like, I know Dave Filoni's read those books or is familiar (laughs) with the Wikipedia page of them. At least I'm not far off from, uh, getting to those Republic commando books in my legends reread. So it's only a matter of time until I get there myself. Yeah. So I don't know. This has been a good meditation on using this as a jumping off point about the the ins and outs of how canon and not canon and how characters can be important and not important and how 
love what you love and just got to leave it at that. Yeah. You can't force people to love what you like and you can't f- force people to hate what you don't like. It's not it's not worth it. It's not. Be happy. All right, let's right? go into another piece of flimsy canon. <laughs> let's go talk about Echo. <laughs> You know what you an know, echo is? It's when you say something and then it, after delay comes back to you. And that's exactly what happened with Trooper Echo. He super duper duper died and then he came back after a delay. <laughs> wow. Um, I had no idea where you were going with that, but you really landed the ship. I really liked it. <laughs> that was good. Uh, so for this topic, we are talking about... Um, well, Arc Commando and uh, Trooper and member of the Bad Batch, eventually, Echo. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is a character who, you know, during their first bit of uh, episodes in the Clone Wars, you know, they, they stick out as their own character, but they're not on the level of a Cody or a Rex, for example, right? Right. But this is a character who, over the course of their, you know, entirety of Clone Wars and now going into the Bad Batch, has become a much more unique and individual character although we still don't really know a whole lot about who they are you know their personality um and with other clones for example like rex and cody they take on some of the little um uh, idioms of their masters you know cody is more by the book rule follower uh just like obi-wan and rex is more of a of a of a wild card like anakin is right and so you don't really have a jedi who is working directly with echo to have that interplay that that conversation between the two so because of that we never really get a good beat on his personality what we see from him is basically the same thing we would expect from any clone you know he's brave and valiant but you know he's eager to help and he wants to get into the fight and he's a competent warrior and all that but that's it and that's what we see for most clones so it's not really right. unique to this character so let's talk a little bit about echo and what we know of him you know he's we see him early on in um in clone wars one of his most prominent episodes is actually when he gets promoted to arc trooper right. that's one of the first times we really see him in a not really spotlight role because this episode has Obi-Wan versus Grievous and Anakin versus Ventress and a really cool attack on Kamino. So there's a lot happening in this episode, but Echo is still one of the characters that stands out in it. And it's because of uh, him and fives working together. They have this valiant moment where they're able to, you know, overcome battle droids. And also they work with uh, clone, um, you know, younglings and 99. And there's there's this whole great story. But basically it all leads to him getting his arc commando assignment, which is a huge moment for him. Yeah. So just to frame it, I mean, there's a handful of clones that we see 
mature over the course of the show and we see them at different stages fives i think is the one that has the longest through line of like you see pretty much everything from that kid being green to like almost to the end of the war yeah um but he's weaving in with other members of that same initial squad and you have characters like echo and jesse and stuff who are evolving in different episodes as we move forward and it's just to kind of show the clones becoming full people um rex is the one we see the most obviously because rex is in gets the most screen time but rex also doesn't develop as a person as much because rex is more of like i'm a really super competent soldier and at the end i'm a super really competent soldier (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) like we we get a lot more of his character but his character isn't as dynamic as some of these folks are and like for echo it's huge because echo was a standard trooper and he is through battle valor and prowess proven himself enough to move up the ranks because an arc trooper advanced recon commando troopers are the elite of the elite they are the um they are the most elite troopers in the entire standing army uh in pre-canon uh pre-disney canon the whole thing was they were supposed to be the most authentically cloned from Django, the closest to um his template with basically the only thing changed is a little enhancements and the fact that they have the growth in speed you know the speeding up of growth mm-hmm. um but they also had direct combat training from Django Fett himself so they are learning from the sounds super weird from the guy who is the most familiar with how to make this body work right <laughs> um straight from the tap and so as we move through canon and change things and clones got recontextualized as the clone wars got on arc trooper is still just the most elite class so it is strange i feel even in the context of the show that someone who wasn't bred for that is worthy of that that class and echoes proves that he is one of the best of the best of the best. So through circumstance and experience and surviving those experiences, he's cut himself quite a bit above his fellow brethren. And we never see any other arc troopers, you know, Rex, for an example, get that designation, right? This is the only time we ever see sort of this in the field promotion type of thing. Correct. Well, other than I guess at the very end of clone wars, uh, when Rex gets promoted, yeah, that's yeah, I true. guess that's the only. And other I should time also see that. Also mentioned, Rex is also the only arc trooper that was really prominent in that show. They're they're in the background, but yeah, that like shoulder pawn on and the skirt mm-hmm. is like sort of their signature. Yeah, that's how you know they're arcs and not normal people because they can wear a battle kilt, uh, <laughs> and you're not man enough to to run into battle with that. Only people like Rex can. That's right. That's right. Um, but. It, <laughs> It is interesting because as we go through, I mean, we're learning how this military is evolving. And I think the other thing about him becoming an arc, the other edge to that sword is, yeah, you can be an arc trooper. Oh, that, that's awesome. I, I wasn't bred for that. Why, why? I mean, thank you. But, but why do I get that? Oh, there's vacancies. <laughs> you know, because like there is a certain amount of if the army was running on all cylinders technically no one should ever get a promotion because that promotions require attrition the army was made to order 
you know, you're not a lieutenant because you went to the academy. You're a lieutenant because you were bred to be a lieutenant and you were flash trained well, to be a lieutenant. Yeah. And this is what we see change. Like, you know, if yes. we just if we take Clone Wars out of it, if we take the shot of it for a minute, just between episodes two and three. Right. In episode two, they're all this unique uniform soldier. And there's a few with splashes of color to designate rank. But by the time we get to Revenge of the Sith, they're much more unique. We see all different types of squadrons with all different types types of paint jobs and they each mean something different different equipment suited to the different environments they're in so these these clones are growing and changing as time goes on and so you know now we paste clone wars back into this open crack in the middle right and you get to see battlefield promotions you get to see clones who are higher up in the ranks die and other clones having to take yep. over so you know we we get an idea that yes at first you know you have okay this batch they get some extra chocolate chips because they're lieutenants right. and this batch <laughs> we're gonna brown the butter first because they're gonna be snipers you know whatever it is that they do to create them once the war has started any troops who make it through a single battle, right, their needs probably get completely reevaluated after that point. Right. And so we're seeing that fact that the army is flexible and it's changing and it's recognizing the individuality of these. Like Echo distinguished himself as an individual. So just because he was without the chocolate chips doesn't mean that we're not going to advance him because we're we're recognizing personality and experience is important and that makes you worthy of moving around the system. And so, like you said, by the time we get to episode three, like the most successful soldiers tend to also be the most individualistic. They tend to be the ones who have gone through a whole lot of things and ended up here, not because, you know, that are very out of spec for how yeah. they were originally configured. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the bad batch, which is the whole impetus of this conversation is all about that. And echo is super duper. One of those, because one of the next times we see echo as he's flitting through the background of the thing is, well, they've got this super dangerous mission to go mm -hmm. get, um, Evan Peel out of uh, Jedi prison, the Citadel, a facility that was designed specifically to contain Jedi. The Confederacy has taken control of it. And now they're using it for its original purpose by holding a Jedi master. Yes, yes, they are. And they're holding not just a Jedi Master, but an entire, you know, ship's worth of people that they captured, you know, the, those they took from the ship, a bunch that they probably left behind or killed. Um, but we see that basically Anakin, Obi-Wan, Rex, Cody, uh, Echo, and <laughs> Ahsoka, even though she's not meant to be there, are all going on this incredibly dangerous assault on this, what is meant to be a Jedi prison that the Separatists now control. And Echo, forever the valiant fighter, you know, he, he, he does his job, he gets people out, you know, they're making their way through, but as they try to make their escape, uh, there is a moment where Echo realizes that a uh, commando droid is about to blow up their shuttle, you know, their way off of the rock, their way out of the prison. And so he takes a battle droid shield and he runs out in front of the blast, you know, trying to take out the droid before he's able to blow up their ship. Mm -hmm. And a laser blast uh, gets off and hits very close to him or his shield. It's kind of ambiguous. Uh -huh. Hits the ship, blows up. And all you see is a giant fiery explosion. You don't really see where Echo's at when the ships explode. And then you see his helmet sort of 
roll into frame with smoke coming out of it and you see everybody else looking over to where he was saying come on we have to go we can't wait around here and yeah, so that's just, the last we see of Echo, we believe. Yeah, so we see a smoking helmet run out, roll out of the fiery ball of, um, you know, starflight or, or star fuel burning there as chunks of this, you know, uh, freighter are falling from the sky and crashing with thunderous hits into the ground. Um, and so Echo is super duper hyper dead. He is a very unperson. He is he is reminding us of the stakes, and I mean, admittedly, this this particular facet of episodes is maybe a little too heavy on the killing clones to remind you of how high the stakes are. Because by the end, there's like yeah, three there are of some them. there are some brutal deaths. One gets straight up cut in half by a door. It's it's, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, it it, it it's. Again, later into the Clone Wars, they're going like, we can more lean into that T rating. I mean, <laughs> um, and this is particularly uh, affecting to Rex because Rex basically watches it happen in front of his eyes and he's a little bit responsible for, man, people are getting sliced down. Is it because of my leadership? Uh, and yeah. there's a part where, you know, Rex is having to be sort of propped back up by like Anakin going like, no, if it's anything, it's my fault. It's like, yeah, it is your fault, Anakin. <laughs> Um, and stop blaming on Ahsoka. She's doing good work. What are you doing? Running around with your laser sword, looking for glory and adventure of the next horizon. That's what. Um, and in the end, they get Tarkin out, who's one of the people they rescue from there. Evan mm-hmm. Peel, unfortunately, does not make it out. Master Peel, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's sort of the last we see of Echo. Until <laughs> the last season of Clone Wars, where I feel that the Clone Wars team went back and watched the Citadel, and they all looked at each other like, well, he's not. We didn't show a body. I mean, sure, there's a ball of fire and a massive explosion, and he may or may not have got caught right by that laser beam. And sure, a smoking helmet rolled out. But what? What if? What if he's okay? I mean, if Darth Maul can survive, there's no reason to ever not bring back a character you want to use. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's okay. <laughs> when they when they find him, he's quite uh, quite well, damaged. Hold on. So let's not get ever. So the big thing is there's a signal that they are finding that is like underneath the commands for the droid army, and they're realizing it's helping them dismantle. Um, these strategies the Republic is doing to repel the clone army. It's like someone who knows the way the Republic works is feeding them information on strategies and tactics. And when they really get down to it and try to slice through it and try to figure it out, they find what the one, I think as they said, it's transponder code or whatever, but like they find out it's from echo. It's echoes like command codes and stuff are mixed into the soup of this stuff. And Rex gets obsessed that Echo has been imprisoned and he's been forced to work the Confederacy and he feels responsible for what happened on the Citadel. And he's like, I, I left my brother behind. I have to go get him. And sort of Rex drums up the mission to go and fetch Echo. Yeah, Rex is really the driving force behind all of this. You know, he has Anakin and Mace's and uh, Obi-Wan's support. But really, it's all about, you know, the, the first bit of mission is, hey, 
I need to run a mission. I need to get in behind enemy lines because I think I know why they're beating us, right? But I it can't be. Let me just confirm that it's something else so I can, you know, abate my suspicions. And right. so he brings in the Bad Batch and they go on their mission and goes, oh, no, this could potentially really be Echo or something, you know, trying to emulate him. So then in the next episode, they're going on a mission mm-hmm. to actually find the source of the signal. And this is where, after fighting their way through some really cool battle droid variants. Uh, oh, yeah, like those winged ones yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really, really into those. They find a very beat up, very, um, you know. Not okay. Not okay Echo. Uh, basically in a, what would you, what would you call it? A, a human preservation chamber? He's more machine than man. Yeah, he's got he's got robot body parts all through and through, practically and, android level. And we've also been just again to just establish things. We've also very much been establishing the Bad Batch, who at the time we weren't really a hundred percent. I don't I don't know if they had announced by then. I think they announced like when the Clone Wars wrapped up that oh yeah, Bad Batch is what we're doing. Like oh, those guys are the anchor of your new show. Okay, yeah, we did not know anything about that officially until after the season had wrapped. And so the Bad Batch represents what we were talking about. Of This is late stage Clone Wars. These are a bunch of clones. Half of them don't wear helmets anymore. Like, they're all kind of weird. They're dimorphic. Like, they're like, I mean, Wrecker is weirdly huge for a clone. Like, for Mm -hmm. people that are genetically identical, they all look really different. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're establishing the fact that the clone army has gotten way more eccentric. Because people that are a little more straight laced, like Rex and Cody, are like... They know the record of the Bad Batch, uh, Clone Force 99, but like they're also like dubious of them because they are the least professional of the professional soldiers in this army, um, which is a good setup because when they find Echo, he's a very different critter now because once they get him out of that like suspension chamber, you know, they start finding just how much of him is missing and how... He hasn't really been betraying his clone troops. He's been essentially being used as a living computer. Yeah. They've been sort of hijacking his mind and accessing it like computer files to override and dig into his subconscious and get access codes, Republic strategies, all this stuff that an arc would have access to. Yeah. And it makes Echo sort of this, you know, it gives it this will he, won't he, you know, is he working for the separatist? Is he, uh, you know, mind controlled by them? You know, did they mess with his inhibitor chip? Because remember, he would have one of those. Yep. So did they remove it? Did it get damaged in the explosion? Has it been changed so the separatists could all of a sudden control him? You know, we have no idea. And the show plays it up a little bit. But by the time we get to the end of their mission, um, you know, Echo is fully fully on the side of the Republic. You know, there's a yeah. few little, oh my gosh, is he about to betray them moments, but it never really becomes anything, you know, other than just a, the camera lingers on him for a second or something like that. Well, it's the ambiguity of he represents a lot of thematic stuff we're used to being bad guys in Star Wars. I mean, he's mostly cyborg at this point. Mm-hmm. He's unreliable in the sense of no matter what he says, he could, like, he could still be, he was used. So again, it's only his word saying it was unwilling. Right. Right. So it's all that kind of stuff. And then by the very end of it, we find that Echo is like back at base going, what the heck am I going to do with myself? I, you know, I'm 
I'm a barely functioning soldier. You know, I'm so screwed up. I, I'm so happy to be back with my brothers, but all my brothers look at me really weird. Yeah. Like, Rex, you're like the only person who like doesn't have a problem with me and is ready to embrace me again. Everyone else is super duper hyper suspicious of me. Like, what are we going to do? And then it just, it's like, well, there's a whole bunch of weirdos over there. Maybe you can join them. <laughs> that is very much what happens, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, go with the odd the odd bunch. But, I mean, it is a, it's an interesting twist for the story to take. And, of course, now <laughs> with the Bad Batch coming out, giving Echo more of a character is going to be very, very interesting. Because by the time this series is over, you know, the Bad Batch spinoff is over, we will spend more time with these clones than we have probably with any other clone, period. In general, yeah. Because we do see Rex a lot. How much is he really doing besides talking to Anakin and fighting? Just gonna say this to go back. I do like the fact of like like, hey boys, could you use someone else in your squad? Echo wants to join join up. And Echo's like, Yeah, I know I'm a cyborg and that's probably weird. What's weird about that? Tech wears glasses and Hunter wears a headband. Same difference. <laughs> My and no, then of course no. me <laughs> me, I'm just sitting here looking at it like, man. This is just so uh, when uh, one of these guys betrays the squad later on and then kills tech, you have a new tech guy, right? Because, you know, you look at the the, the stereotypes, it's like, man, tech is definitely the one to go. Uh, I think I think they're all valid. I mean, the rumors I've heard was a different one, but we're not going to go into that. Well, this- I'm not talking rumors. I'm just talking normal, like, archetypes for characters. Uh, you know, one of them is going to die early. One of them is going to die early. There's no doubt. It doesn't seem like the five man squad is going to stick around very long, but we, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I think the thing about it is because it's such an obvious play. I wouldn't be surprised. They don't do it just because it is such an obvious play. And much like echo, it will, he won't, he betray them. I think it was a very easy thing that order 66 comes down and like, (gasps) which one of them is going to go against their programming. And the most surprising answer would be, oh, none of them. Yeah. I'll be interested to see. I cannot wait. I got to say, I was a little just kind of middling on it at first, but the the closer we get, the more excited I am for Bad Batch. Yeah, and I think, I think it'll be cool to see Echo, because the other thing I like is, if this show is sophisticated enough, which knock on wood that it is, I'm very interested to finally get what I will call a a positive story of being disabled in the star Wars universe Mm -hmm. Um, because star Wars, I mean, building out of the thematic material of legend and story, like I'm not blaming it. I'm not saying that star Wars is ableist, but like star Wars being diminished and having to have prosthetic limbs is seen as a becoming less of a person, right? It's a very dehumanizing experience in the lore of star Wars. Now, it's also a little bit ground you can stand on because, well, if living cells have midi chlorians and you're a Jedi, you are literally losing transmitters to the Force. Mm-hmm. So we can make that argument of that's why we say more machine than man is bad. Yeah. It's not because Vader's a quadriplegic. No, no, no. That's not the reason he's evil. And he's evil because his connection to the Force is being cut off. And to that point, you know, we only really ever hear cyborg kind of enhancements as a bad thing with Jedi. No, not just that. Lobot is usually looked at as more droid than man in most of his stories, unless you're talking to Lando, who appreciates him as a person. Sure, but uh, or, see, or, or that's Drizzt- more of a that's more of a technical enhancement. 
or Drayden Voss and those servants he has who have their heads half cut yeah. off where they've been turned into robotic slaves. I'm just saying yeah. Star Wars does not show prosthetics in a positive light, particularly anywhere in it, partially because it never has had a stage in which but to I, do I that. I feel like I've read so many books about, oh, this bounty hunter has this thing embedded in his skin that makes him, you know, like I feel like it, that exists. But now that I'm thinking about it, the only one that I can think of is... um. What's Bastila's son's name? Well, when you get further out, of, uh, when you heck? get further out of the lane, because I was going to say Kelkodroma from Tales of the Jedi to me is an yeah. example of someone who he loses an arm and he never gets his arm back, but he gets a robot arm and it isn't just a superpower there. Yes, he has a stronger arm, but he also has problems because it's not the same as having a flesh and blood arm. Sure, sure. And so what I'm excited with with Echo is us to explore a positive experience of someone who is dealing with the things that make them unique because of their, their diminishment, their disability, but also the limitations that that causes in an authentic way that I think in 2021, we are at a cultural uh, place to talk about it thoughtfully. And I think that'll be awesome for Star Wars to have some of that. I think Echo is going to be a really interesting character. And I think that's one of the threads I see being easy to pull at of, hey, here's here's a disabled character. We've never really had one of those in Star Wars in a meaningful way, because even the people who've lost, like, say, their dominant arm a scene later they have the replacement right they're not really dealing with you know does yeah. anakin deal with phantom limb syndrome i don't know <laughs> yeah you know that's a good point they do talk about that in the revenge of the sith novelization but the movie doesn't really ever well just more of a reason why we need to get a clone wars spinoff prequel that like literally picks up at you know the wedding like that's where it starts Oh. And we just need to see Anakin like go forward for the first like six months of the war. Like I want to literally see his hair grow out. That's what I want to see. I want to see him get that scar. I want to see him deal with that phantom limb. There's a whole Metal Gear game about it. Why can't we get well, a Clone Wars season? Yeah, I mean, there is a certain part about like, yeah, I want to see Anakin having the existential crisis of he needs to work on his hand. He removes it and then remembers that yeah. he can't work on his hand with his yeah. dominant hand because it's, it's a... the thing he's working on. <laughs> he goes to lift a pair for Padme and all of a sudden he's like, oh, my God. And it just shatters him inside. Actually, that's the other sad thing about stars is like I could see Anakin removes his arm. Then he goes to reach for a spanner with his dominant hand, forgetting that his dominant hands, the things he's working on. And he goes. Oh, God. And then you have the mental anguish of dealing with a disability. And then he goes, oh, right. And then he just grabs the screwdriver with the force. <laughs> just like he floats pairs. He just turns exactly. uh, screws with exactly. his mind. Yeah, with his nub. Uh, yeah, no, I like um, as someone who, you know, came from a family with this kind of disability. My uncle lost his left hand uh, when he was really young. And it was always like a thing that was like normal to me of mm -hmm. like oh yeah not everyone has all their hands that's normal that's what everybody does and finding a lot of sympathy for ableist and disabled portrayals in film being not great yeah. <laughs> um i i think that's something i'm really excited now of course i could be all wet and they just like no he's a cool robot man look he can lift a car with his robot arm <laughs> like it, it could be just completely hollow but i I'd like to think Disney's smarter than that, so we'll see. Yeah, I, I'm ex the possibilities for the Bad Batch are endless. It it's going to be fascinating, and I'm very cu curious to see from our last topic 
really curious to see if Delta Squad is the ones that are trying to rein them in because I love Delta, but even in those novels, it's like, oh yeah, they're company men. They're they're gonna come after. Yeah. When the inhibitor chip tells you to follow Order sixty six, they're not gonna question it that hard. Uh, I fully get that same impression from the little bit of exposure I have to them. Yeah. Yeah, because they're and, and again they'll be great Imperials and they're not you know they're not goose stepping Imperials, but like at the same time they're they'll believe in the Imperial cause because it like the Republic cause a strong central government is the key to stability. They're signing their uh, hypothetical paychecks, as it were. Correct. So that's the cause they believe in. Exactly. And especially when you may or may not have rights as a clone in, in the Galactic yeah, Empire. Yeah, we never, we never get there. We only see a few vagabonds later on. What if there is just a part of the Bad Batch, this is the procedural thing of these guys trying to get money and realizing that they're like, you know, like they're undocumented workers. Like they don't have papers because they're not real people in the eyes of the government. I mean, I don't think it's that far-fetched to believe there's like a two-minute scene of Tarkin giving a speech about how clones are going to be decommissioned. or No, sorry. You clones will be retired. You no, you clones have been the vanguard of this Imperial forces. And as we replace you, we honor you by like, I definitely can see the 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 evil spin of talking going like we are trading you out for a new model. <laughs> and that new model is a workforce that is driven to fanaticism <laughs> we found out that training them wasn't enough oh by the way we blew up camino so no one else could have more of you but us and there's also you know a good bit of reason to believe this show will show us what happens with you know rex how he frees gregor and wolf yeah and how they get to where they are when we find them in rebels you know it wouldn't and, be a surprise at all if we see that here and the most exciting thing about the journey we're going to see echo and his friends go on is yeah hey what is the weak after order 66 look like what does the immediacy of the transition yeah and what i'm also really hoping for is and how unnoticeable is it to most people in the galaxy same bot old new boss same as the old boss yep and i yeah it's a slow it's a slow change it's gonna be great and echo is going to be very prominently featured in this but i think we've talked about clones enough for today Ready to wrap this thing up? I am very much ready. So we bring another one home here at Star Wars All In, a, a clone-centric one as we, I mean, we're doing this. We said this at the top of the show and throughout it. That's because the Bad Batch starts next week. Next week is May the 4th. And uh, what is May the 4th? It's a Tuesday, I think, right? It's a Tuesday this year, yeah. Yeah, so on Tuesday, we get the first part of the Bad Batch. And then we that do. Friday, we get more of the Bad Batch. We get 100 minutes of Bad Batch in the first week. Cannot <sighs> wait. We are so close. We've never been closer. The Bad Batch is on the horizon. We've got new toys. We've got, um, who knows, maybe eventually some books, some comics. Who knows? 
The possibilities are endless. And who knows what else we're going to get? Because uh, we, you know, I think we're on the same page, right? Like everything we've seen for the Bad Batch is like the first episode or two. I would imagine. Yeah. I would imagine everything in the trailer we will see on Friday. Like yeah. by Friday. Yeah. I, I think that what the majority of this show is, I don't think we have seen at all. Uh, like yeah. I, I could see you mentioned uh, off, off stage like, oh, yeah, no, I think they'll be out of the armor and in street clothes. I'm like, what is that going to look like? I'm like, and of course we don't know, because if they're going that route, they, they're not showing us that now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. It could turn into anything. I mean, think about what Rebels became from where it started. Mm-hmm. Think, I mean, even the Clone Wars. Think about where that ended compared to where it started. So what Bad Batch could become uh, might even be totally different from where it starts, but that makes it all the much more exciting. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool to... It's just nice. I like the idea of Lucasfilm Animation making something all at all times. So it's kind of nice again that that drip feed of constant Star Wars mm-hmm. content is back on, mm-hmm. uh, at least for a little while. Which... And we also, to that point, have no idea will this be a one off? Will this be a one season series? Yeah, is this going to be like the Marvel strategy where they're just making ones, or is this going to be like Mandalorian where it's a limited series, but there'll be multiple you know, chapters or series of it, or is this, I mean, this could be Clone Wars. They may have 52 episodes they're planning to make over three years. I I don't know. Uh, Cause yeah, we have no way of knowing. And that's exciting. Yeah. There's no celebration this year. We couldn't ask anyone. Yeah. There wasn't a panel to reveal all this information. Yeah. No, man. It's kind of weird to think about like, yeah, we're starting to run out of material that would have showed up at celebration. We're kind of getting into all, all the stuff's starting to happen because Star Wars is back. You know, we've got the High Republic is well mm-hmm. on its way to being run out. Bad mm-hmm. Batch is coming. We know about Rogue Squadron. We know about Andor. We yeah. It's all the pipeline is starting to I mean, to we're come. a third of the way through the year towards the Book of Boba Fett. <sighs> like, we're a third of, like... That's... Ins- that's yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. What's going to be like in like 2022 when the world goes back enough to normal that time minutes and hours feel like minutes and hours again? There'll be a new Star Wars thing every week. That's what it'll feel like. I mean, think about never mind. I guess we're never going to go back to normal because that's so surreal to think about. We're probably getting at least four different seasons of four different Star Wars shows in 2022. I think that's a good estimate. At least that's like minimum. Though I do think that when I now. Now, if you're seeing like the second Marvel show of um, Captain America and Winter Soldier, I definitely feel that. I suspect Rangers of the New Republic and Ahsoka and Lando, like I do expect those to be one-off miniseries now. I, I don't expect those to be ongoing concern. I think Mando was sort of the the axis of which all that stuff's running off of, and that's the one that's going to have maybe five seasons. Yeah. But I think the other ones are going to be more, here's this great story told in like six to eight parts. Yeah. And then we are moving on. Like, um, to a certain extent, I kind of like that better. Um, mm-hmm. That is kind of where I hope it ends up going, but I'll think at this point it's set up for success where I'll be happy with anything. Oh dude. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super happy. And as long as it goes the Marvel route where, Yes, this story is over, but this story informs the next story, and then informs the next story, and then informs the next story. Um, As long as you keep building it. I mean, it's kind of weird we're watching these six-hour movies over six weeks Mm -hmm. is kind of what they end up sort of being because they're Mm -hmm. self-contained. 
but like I was saying with the Mandalorian, I'm cool with the serial returning. Well, (laughs) especially, yeah, you and I are both fans of weekly adventures, no doubt. But when now that we've really had time to sit on it, you know, we've never really talked about this on pod. Mando season one and Mando season two are incredibly different from one another. They're very, very different shows. True, but the 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 concepts behind their stories are the same. I like that the end of Mando season two, you're not on a cliffhanger. Yes, you want to know things that happen after this, but it's not, well, Mando 2 is really successful, so we know there's going to be three, so we can leave this horrible cliffhanger at the end of, like, no, they finished up that yeah. chapter. It is complete. It yeah. is rounded. It is fine. If the show was canceled right now, you would deal with it. Like, yeah. And that's so much more responsible than television has generally been, where it's so terrified that you're going to tune out that yeah. they aren't making nice each episode is a complete story and they add up to a complete season well that's why the best modern tv shows Mm -hmm. reveal things constantly yes while still introducing new mysteries so when you think of like uh what are some of like the more well-regarded shows from recent memory breaking bad um sons of anarchy um the blacklist right these are shows that the big reveal is not the last episode of the season right Right. it can happen six episodes in and then all of a sudden the show takes a change from what you thought was happening that season sure right and and that kind of different structuring to television stories is what i think has bolstered them up in so many people's minds not to mention a pandemic trapping everybody inside for a year and a half and you know (laughs) forcing them to watch all of what's on hbo but those types (laughs) of stories i think they're so much more interesting now for people because you can have space to tell longer more in-depth stories and frankly tv is not procedural as it once was and a lot of people they're still new to that like so like you know um people from our generation i'll speak loosely here but like you know a ton of people watched breaking bad as, as an example and even though i i wasn't one of those people right so many people did and for a lot of people that was their first introduction to good storytelling well you have different flights you have people that got on during the sopranos and then during things like breaking bad sure. and during like game of yeah, thrones I mean, the sopranos really dead. being the first of it really well, the, yeah the sopranos... but walking dead is see i and i haven't watched sopranos but like something like walking dead isn't a good example walking dead is an example of old television of serialization of nothing really happening i wouldn't have you watched it i guess is what i'd say have you watched the sopranos because uh, my thing is like they all come from this new what they call peak TV or golden age, the new golden age, like where the idea is there's a showrunner and mm-hmm. they have in their head where the end point of the show is. Mm-hmm. Whereas like something like Lost to me is more traditional things where there isn't a story Bible and there isn't one person at hand on the rudder who knows where this has got to end up. Right. There's just a soup of ideas in each new writing team that comes in during the season, eh, you know, pinballs it in their own direction. Whereas I will say The Walking Dead, at least up to a certain point, just like Game of Thrones, is based loosely on an existing property. And someone has that book open during all the writing sessions and saying, well, can we use this part? Can we use that part? No, I I hear you. I hear you on that. I I just think that I don't want to give clout to Walking Dead. It's not a good show. That's all I'm trying to say. Well, I personally don't think any of those are good shows, but that's, I'm not talking about the quantitative, the qualitative 
properties of the show. I'm saying that the the way that they're manufactured has changed. The way that, like you said, the procedural, yeah. right? We're not looking for syndication. So no, not the status quo doesn't need to be reset by the end of the show because you might be watching them out of order because now we live in a world of bingeable television where right. you watch everything in order and you find out just how much that screwed up the order of television shows like Firefly did back in the day when television executives put it in the wrong order or your personal problem with which is like oh it's cool you're doing this anthology of clone wars but what's the chronological order i want to know i want to watch them in the order that they happen i don't want to watch it in the order you think that they're best right and i think that's a totally reasonable point of view and it's something that's much more welcome right now um and i think that leads to interesting things but i think these wandavision falcon and the winter soldier mandalorian i think represent like the next stage of that evolution in the sense of these are television shows in the sense that we have more time to flesh out our characters and we take breaks, right? There is a pause between each episode. Yeah. It's not supposed to, you, you're not supposed to binge them in the sense of they are meant to be watched. Like I could edit them into just one thing, right? They are supposed to be pauses in between each episode for you to ponder like WandaVision being a great example of a decade transitions between each episode (laughs) right but at the same time i think they are getting the best benefits of the filmmaking movie thing which is when you committed to these six episodes (laughs) these eight episodes um i don't i think if you look at their definitely part of it but if you look at their money though they're not actually spending more than an average show they're just making six episodes with a 30 episode budget uh, fair you know fair, what i mean fair, fair. what yeah. i'm trying to say is what i think makes it very different is the fact of these six to eight episodes are done we mentally wrote them all at the same time they are a complete thought yeah. like a movie is they're one script we didn't get to episode three and say ah you know what we should bring up this character there we should have made that character like there isn't that midstream change that you see in most television shows because to be honest by the time say mandalorian came out by the time baby yoda was out in the wild like the other episodes were done they're like yeah. if this get ga- this gamble either paid off right or it didn't. Right. Season three of Mando was written before season two aired. Right. Things are not going to change drastically between that point and pre-post-production. And so I think that's what the exciting thing about Ahsoka, the Rangers, Bad Batch, is we're coming into an age of television where it is natural to already know your end point yeah. for at least this season with a map of where that it's going beyond that. Like, you know where it is, which means you can foreshadow correctly. You can pace it correctly. You can do things that television, because of its nature of writer's rooms constantly changing and egos getting in the way and deciding, oh, well, we like this plot thread, but the audience didn't react to it. So we're going to drop that plot thread. And now we're going to get a new plot thread. Hopefully the audience likes that. There's not that midstream correction stuff that I think was intrinsically interesting to the television media because it could always it could adapt which it's getting less adaptable but the benefit of that is it feels like a creator had a thought and we made it rather than a committee started deciding what we think might people might want maybe i don't know um so that's exciting and i think the more of star wars we see like that the more it's going to feel like hey yeah we're not going to have movies every year like we originally planned but that's okay Every time you see something that is someone's artistic vision, mm-hmm. it's always going to be more interesting 
than something that is made by a committee. That doesn't necessarily mean better or worse, but more unique, more interesting. And when Star Wars is made by, you know, a piece of Star Wars is made by a person, they get to put their own individual touches and flares on it. And you yep. mentioned WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier and these shows that are you know, not necessarily not made by a committee, but are still the idea, the vision of one small group of people or one individual. Well, I think it and rises. the same thing with like, you know, when you have uh, The Force Awakens, right? Very much a vision of three people, the Kasdans and JJ, right? Last Jedi, very much, you know, Ryan. So you have these things that are these unique visions of people. And for whatever reason, right, you can tell when watching it, does this feel like something that's been rewritten a million times? Does this feel right. like something that 20 people had their hand in? And when it doesn't, it feels like a much more complete thing. And beyond the production uh, materials and the advancing technologies that allows the Mandalorian to look as good, if not better than the movies, that and that sentiment of a small group of people has the idea and they wrote it down and that's what we're going to film and hopefully it works out. Yeah is the best parts of Hollywood filmmaking getting an injection into the television format. Yeah. It, it's this weird merger of the two into these, again, these six-hour movies or these short television shows, depending on which perspective you want to have, but they are definitely a hybrid of those two types of teleplays made into something that I prefer. <laughs> so Thrawn Greater Good comes out this week. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I absolutely agree. It's uh, we're in an age of television that is extremely interesting because really the words television and the words movie don't even mean what they once did. And so when you uh, it, <laughs> bring home viewing into it and you bring, um, you know, uh, not having to have ads to pay for the content into it because you're getting money directly and you bring, um, frankly a generation of people that's more critical of content right right that's the other side of it is the audience is asking for this this isn't just yeah. oh through the goodness of our heart we're going to make these shows that are more in depth and tell more complicated stories right no they would just keep making svu forever if they could because <laughs> it's easy and cheap and whatever for some reason well, 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 don't, don't worry we're still making that we can still make that yeah <laughs> So, you know, but people want these more complex, interesting stories. And yeah. so it's an interesting time to be a part of it. You know, if we ever get to a point where we're watching season one of Mando in a movie theater start to finish with no credits until the end, um, we'll have to reevaluate then because oh. then it'll be another situation. But if the pandemic proved anything, we are in the new weird world of accepting the yeah. fact that these lines of television, movies, yeah. YouTube videos, no, man, it's all video and it's all going to be considered because most of us are watching it on our phones anyway. So it's all, you know, yeah. what you decide to look at it on no longer defines what it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it used to yeah. be YouTube videos. I watch those on my phone because they're not that really good. I'm like, well, I have definitely watched at least some of the first showings of like Mando on my phone. <laughs> Which is not the most optimal place. I have a good home theater. I should watch it only exclusively there. But like, that's the convenience of it's meeting us where we yeah. are now. Yeah. And it's great to know that there's awesome content there. For um, sure. I completely agree. This has been a lovely discussion. I think we were in the ballpark of our topics this week. 
like remotely yeah. mainly we had fun it was a this was a fun episode that you know hey if you like clones this is an episode for you there's no doubt about it well I always enjoy our time. I I, I kind of love when we get off topic. I hope the audience follows with us. Let us know. Feedback. We thrive on it. Give it to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but I think that's it. So I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. May the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.